Welcome to Alphabet Soup, a podcast where we're going to work our way through a wide variety of biblical topics using the alphabet. Our goal, of course, is to understand the Bible better, but we also want to find ways in which Scripture applies to our daily lives. So with that intro, let's get to it. Part 2 of A is for Atonement, talking about the doctrine of, I suppose we could say, reconciliation, because that's closer to the meaning, uh, the sense of the word atonement. There is a connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We closed part one um, by referencing what John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so what he was doing there when he called him the Lamb of God was drawing their attention back to the Old Testament system and the lamb that they took to sacrifice. But when he said takes away the sins of the world, he was drawing a contrast with the Old Testament system. They knew that the Hebrew word kafar meant to cover. And so when he said takes away the sins of the world, they should have picked up on that, the difference between covering and removing. Isaiah uh, 53, uh, 5 and 6 prophesies this. This is this overlap of Old Testament and New Testament, the connection between the two. Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now, I'm going to read verse 6 and listen to the concept of parties who were together are now estranged and are then uh, reconciled through atonement. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. I want to take that verse and put it in an envelope and, and mail it to Wikipedia that said it is the person who takes the action the person who offended, who then takes the remedial action and brings about atonement. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that's because Hebrews 10.4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins of the world. Can't. It can cover them. It cannot take them away. This is good, isn't it? I mean, when you start looking at all the little pieces and how they fit together and how beautifully they fit together, isn't this good stuff? It is that it is in the New Testament the theme from beginning to end that reconciliation has been accomplished because of what Christ did for us, what he did for us on the cross. I'm going to read some familiar verses, but I want you to hear them in the context of what we've said about atonement. 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self, Jesus Christ, who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. You got that? See, he did it for us. Again, contra wiki. Uh, he did it for us. He bore our sins 1 John 2.2, he is our propitiation, and not for us only, but also for the sins of the world. Okay, I used propitiation there, which is the King James word, and most, uh, most translations done since, oh, I don't know, say 1900, 
don't use the word propitiation because it's not a word that we use in any other context hardly. Therefore, it doesn't do anything in the contemporary mind. It doesn't bring any concept to our thinking. They use, the problem is, it is such a powerful word and such a uh, compressed word that it takes five or six other words to get the concept across. He's the one who paid the penalty for. Propitiation means that someone is angry, there is wrath, and it is justified, it is righteous wrath, and that it has to be satisfied. A criminal goes into court and he is judged guilty by a jury of his peers, and it comes time for sentencing. And the judge says, here is the standard, is the law, and you broke the law, you violated it, you sinned, and you must be punished. It's the way things work. There are consequences for actions, sir. You violated the law. There are consequences for your actions. Therefore, I must sentence you. If the law is going to be upheld, if we are going to have justice in the land, justice requires that the penalty be paid. Years and years and years and years ago, there was one of those classic detective shows on TV. And now that I think about it, I can't remember the name. And I can't remember the name of the little short guy who played the lead in it. But he was kind of an ornery dude. One of his sayings was, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. That, that phrase popped up in almost every episode. Some of you, one of you will, will remember uh, man, it almost, it's on the, anyhow, that is, that is that sense of justice. If justice is violated, the consequences must follow. That's what the word propitiation means. It means satisfying the wrath of God. And, and you have to understand that wrath, not just like when I get mad, when some, something doesn't go my way, but the wrath of God that occurs when there is injustice. This cannot just be winked at. It cannot be overlooked. We cannot pretend it did not happen or the justice of a holy and righteous God is violated. Remember what we said? That's one of the key concepts we have to grasp to understand atonement. And when God's uh, righteous wrath is poured out on his son who stands in my place. Um, the offense which I committed is paid for by the work of Christ on the cross. That is propitiation. It is the satisfaction. Usually when, when you get a translation that tries to come up with something better than the word propitiation from the King James, there is the concept of satisfaction in there. The requirement of the law and the holiness of God must be satisfied, and that happens through judgment, which is poured out on Christ instead of me. Reconciliation, atonement, is not a decree. Listen to that. It is not a decree. It is not something that God just says, and it is. It doesn't work like that. It cannot work like that, because if he just said it, and it was, he is after all God, if he just said it and it was, okay, you are justified, your sins are removed, I do that by divine decree. His justice would be violated. His holiness would be compromised. It must require uh, a payment for those sins. Propitiation, his righteousness must be satisfied. The law must be satisfied. The law says, 
If you sin, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. 1 John 4.10 Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the one who paid the penalty. So now I can be reconciled to God. We can have atonement, atonement. The relationship can be restored back to what it was intended to be um, and was before Adam and Eve ate the Brussels sprout. That is uh, atonement. That is reconciliation. We are the children of God reconciled through the substitutionary death of Christ. Okay, um, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. I have no idea who's listening to this. I'm using Spotify, which is free because I'm a cheapskate. Um, And I'm doing this podcast to scratch an itch. I am a teacher. I've told people I was a pastor, but in my core, I am a teacher. I, I was a square peg in a square hole when I was teaching in the classroom setting. I loved it. I, I know that at least some of you, because I've heard from some of you um, who are listening to this podcast, were my students. I know that some of you, because I've heard from some of you, were in churches that I pastored either before or after I was a college prof. And you are going to recognize this. I would tell my students and I would tell um, the people in my churches. I would say at some point in the future, years down the line, your doorbell is going to ring and you're going to go answer the door. This was before uh, you could have cameras on your front porch. You're going to go and open the door and standing there will be a shriveled up, gnarly old man, decrepit old man. And he will be holding in his right hand a two-foot piece of two-by-four. He's going to say one word to you. And then he's going to start counting. One, two, three. If he gets to three before you have responded, he's going to begin beating you about the head and shoulders with that two-by-four. The word he's going to say is salvation. You have three seconds, the count of three, to respond with substitutionary atonement. And if you say substitutionary atonement, that gnarly old shriveled up guy is going to say thank you and he's going to turn around and walk away. And you will have saved yourself a great beating. The primary concept behind the word salvation is substitutionary atonement. I wish that I was... No, I don't wish that I I was paying money for this. to to put this podcast up, but I wish I had some way of getting metrics that showed me everyone who is listening to this, and I would make you the same promise. One day your doorbell is going to ring, and you're going to open the door, and I'm going to be standing there, and I'm going to say salvation. One, two, three. You have that long to respond with substitutionary atonement. Hear that? Atonement. A is for atonement. Substitutionary means we are atoned. We are at one with God because his son, Jesus Christ, was my substitute, was your substitute. He took our place on the cross and paid the penalty that we should have paid. The essential concept behind the word salvation is, 
as it's taught in the Bible, is that Christ died in our place. He was our substitute. Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.19 That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Um, Reconciliation is not the decree of God that accomplishes something. Again, Wikipedia got it all wrong. It is not something that we do that brings us back into fellowship with God. It is not of works so that no one can boast, Ephesians 2.9. By the works of the law, no one can be justified in his sight. Our sins are not covered. Underline, bold, italics, arrows, our sins are not covered. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Atonement is reconciliation, and reconciliation can only happen through propitiation. Have you ever thought you would grasp so many multi-syllable words, huh? Reconciliation can only happen through propitiation, through satisfying the holiness and righteousness of God, which must judge sin. God, in his great love, sent his Son to the cross. Who is propitiated? God is propitiated. God is satisfied. Who is reconciled? We are reconciled. See, that's the thing. All these salvation words, there's a bunch of them. They're great words. They all have a lot of syllables, but boy, are they powerful words. And all of them point either to God or to us, or in some cases, to both. God is propitiated, and because he is propitiated, we are reconciled. I remember a preacher, I don't remember who it was, but it was a great story, and I heard it in person. I'm sure I did. I didn't read it. Um, he, he tells the story about uh, a man and a, and a woman, a husband and a wife, uh, driving down the street. She's complaining that the romance and the love has gone out of their marriage. And she says, do you remember when we used to hold hands everywhere we went and walk side by side and in the car? Um, and now here I am there and, there you, and, he, and he looks at her and he said, I didn't move. That's what happens with reconciliation. We moved. We are reconciled. We slide across and sit next to God and are reconciled to him. Why? Because of propitiation. Because he paid the penalty for our sins through uh, Jesus Christ's work on the cross. I mentioned at the beginning that uh, as I record this, again, no idea when you're listening to it. As I record this, we're two days away from Easter Sunday. I had coffee this week with a good friend who is in charge of all the music at the church they attend. Not the, not the church that Pam and I attend, but, but another church in town. And he is their minister of music. A really good guy. I love him. Um, he shall remain anonymous. But I told him I'd been thinking about him this week. We're going to go into Easter services at his church, at my church, at your church. And I'm going to guess, maybe I've got it wrong, I hope I do, but I'm going to guess 
that the Sermon on the Resurrection will talk about its theological significance. And I don't mean to downplay that. It is huge. It is only because of the resurrection that we know our salvation was effective. It's only because he came back from the dead that we know he did in fact pay the penalty for sin. But it is, I think, uh, typical of the Western mind that when we think about the resurrection or we think about the birth of Christ, we tend to focus on the data. We, we come at it from an intellectual perspective. And goodness, there's a lot of truth there. There's a lot to try to wrap our heads around, and we never will. But I was thinking this week, which is why I was thinking about him. I told him, I want to plan an Easter service with you because, because while the Western mind tends to do just that, to approach something like the resurrection with the mind, it seems to me that it is better approached with the heart. That the people that ran to the empty tomb didn't sit there and scratch their heads and think about the theological implications of this. They were overwhelmed with emotion. And in some cases, that emotion was, was bewilderment. In some cases, that was great joy. But it was emotions. And music has the power to touch the emotions like the mind just never will. And I told him, I, I thought earlier this week, a couple of days before we met for coffee, that uh, I would like to work together with him to put together a resurrection service that was primarily music. Um, music that the congregation sings, music that they listen to, that touches the heart and gives us a sense of awe and wonder and joy and humility that touches the heart with the truth of the resurrection. That's why I, one of the reasons why I think it's important to talk about the atonement. Uh, now, obviously, this podcast has approached the atonement from the aspect of the truths associated with the doctrine. But sometimes we just need to shut up, stop thinking, and come to the atonement with our heart. Um... Okay, forgive me, please. Uh, this is perhaps navel-gazing. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on here right now. A lot of complex things that have to be figured out and worked through and brought into alignment. And when that happens, my brain can't shut down. It is, let me see, it is right now spot on, 5 o'clock a.m. I have been awake since 12.30. Uh, I just could not sleep. I woke up like old men do to go to the bathroom and, and went back and, and could not get back to sleep. My mind started churning. So here we are four and a half hours later and I've got a long day ahead of me, a kind of a challenging day. And my brain is already tired. My body is tired and my heart is tired. And sometimes when I get tired, does it work this way with you? Sometimes when I get tired, my heart, my stomach, comes to the surface. My emotions are closer to the top. And I think that sometimes when we approach Easter and we, when we approach the atonement, it's good for us to be tired enough that we come at it not with our minds to think about the, the theological truths, but with our heart to think about what God has done for us. A God who loved us so much that when we were estranged, when we were separated, he went out and brought us back. And he could not do that by decree. He could only do that 
by sending his one and only Son to the cross. The Son whom he loved, and pouring out the wrath that I deserved onto that Son to propitiate, to satisfy the necessary standards of his holiness and the law. And then he says, okay, Craig, it's your call now. Do you want to come home? I've cleared the way. You can be reconciled. We can be at one again. It's your call. You can't do anything on your own, but I've taken care of it for you. It's up to you. Going back to uh, 1 John 2.2, he is our propitiation and not ours only, but also for the sins of the world. His death paid for all sins. But not all are saved. Not all are reconciled. Not all are at one with God. Because for whatever reason, they choose not to come. The way's been cleared. The sin hasn't been covered. It's been removed. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But some choose not to go back. You know what's really terrible? Is those who don't go back because they don't know. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, He has given to us the message of reconciliation. The message of atonement. That we've got to get busy and deliver. So those people who don't know are made aware of the truth of atonement, of reconciliation accomplished because the sins have been taken away by the Lamb of God. Okay, um, I'm going to finish up this cup of coffee here and go back up, uh, back up and edit this and post it. And I hope if you're listening to this before Easter, that you go into an Easter service a little tired Yeah, get up early and be a little tired and go into that Easter service with your stomach, with your emotions and listen for reconciliation. Listen for atonement. God bless. 